So the text for this morning's sermon is from the Gospel of Mark, uh, Mark 1, the verses 1 to 13. So this passage, when we read it, it looks actually very straightforward, but when I study this passage, I couldn't help but think that this is one of the most complex passages I've, I've ever had to study. So Mark 1, beginning at verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased." The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Thus far, a reading of God's holy word. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, some time ago, I w- uh, while I was on a flight uh, to Regina, I had the chance to speak to a man uh, who was sitting beside me, I uh, had a chance to speak to him about the Christian faith. That's actually one of the nice things about being on an airplane, the person you're talking to can't go anywhere, so you have them right there, you can talk to them, uh, and maybe an opportunity to bring them the gospel. Now, he had been raised in the Anglican Church, but he confessed that he never did embrace uh, Jesus Christ as Savior. It was clear, though, that he did think about God and religion quite often. And he admitted that some things about the world were unsettling for uh, his position, his essentially his atheism, uh, such things as... He confessed, oh, what happened before the Big Bang? That's what he believed about the world, and he could not wrap his mind around it, but uh, he had to accept that position given his unbelief. Now, our, our exchange allowed me to express some reasons why I am convicted that the Bible is God's word and Christianity is the truth. And one of those reasons that I gave him is this. The Bible was written over hundreds of years 
by different authors in different genres, and yet it all tells one grand story about one God and one salvation in Jesus Christ. Indeed, all of Scripture points us to Jesus Christ. As Christ himself said, you see, the Bible, as you study it, it contains layers upon layers of incredible complexity. And this is one way the Bible shows. It is not just a human book. In fact, it's impossible. The Bible is just a human book as you study it. And we hope to see some of that this morning. Our text is from the Gospel of Mark. We read from two Old Testament passages in connection with our text. But to be honest, I probably could have read uh, 20 or even 30 passages from the Old Testament that connect with our text from Mark 1. But what, what we want to see this morning is that, indeed, again, all the Bible is pointing us to this one Savior, Jesus Christ, in many wonderful ways. And that's also why Mark opens up his book by saying, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The word gospel means good news. The message of Christ is salvation for us, and that's why it is truly good news. And that brings us to the sermon theme, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We'll see it begins with, first of all, a fulfillment of biblical prophecy, or we could say prophecies. A second, a revelation of a powerful person. And finally, a victory for God's saving purposes. So first of all, the beginning of the gospel of Christ begins with a fulfillment of biblical prophecies. So our text begins with these words, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now you'll notice Mark's gospel skips over uh, Jesus' birth and jumps right into uh, Jesus' ministry. And this is how it began, he says. First came John the baptizer in the wilderness, and he proclaimed a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then came Jesus of Nazareth to be baptized by John in the Jordan. And Mark tells his readers these, these events, John coming and then Jesus being baptized by him. Uh, this beginning to Jesus' ministry is just what the Old Testament prophets said would happen. And this is the quotation that Mark gives to prove this. He says, he quotes from the Old Testament, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So that's the quote from the Old Testament. And Mark says, this is written in the prophet Isaiah. However, the first half of this quote is actually a combination of those two Old Testament passages we read from Exodus 23 and Malachi 3, and they're combined. The second half is a quote from Isaiah 40, verse 3. So there's three Old Testament prophecies 
combined into one here. Uh, sometimes Jewish authors named only one prophet when citing multiple sources, uh, so that's why he says the prophet Isaiah. We're going to look at each of those Old Testament passages in a moment, three Old Testament passages. The first one is from Exodus 23, which we read. Now, Exodus 23 is not actually a prophecy of Mark 1. However, Mark's use of Exodus 23, verse 20, shows he is working with similar themes found in that passage we read. Exodus 23, verse 20, in the ESV says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way. Now, you might wonder how that's relevant to Mark's quote in Mark 1. There's nothing about an angel in Mark 1. However, we must understand that in the Bible's original languages, the words angel and messenger are the same, exactly the same. So Mark quotes the Greek translation of Exodus 20, verse 23, which we can literally translate into English as, Behold, I'm sending my messenger before your face in order that he might guard you in the way. So when Israel was in the wilderness in the book of Exodus, God sent this angel or messenger before the people of Israel on their way to the promised land while they were in the desert. And what did God say to them? The people had to pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. And if they did, then God promised to be an enemy to their enemies and an adversary to their adversaries. So that's the context of Exodus 23. We'll show later how this fits in with uh, this passage uh, from Mark 1. Now, to this quote from Exodus, Mark mixes in Malachi 3, verse 1, where the Lord says, Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And just before that verse, Israelites ask, Where is the God of justice? God answers by saying, He, the God of justice, will indeed come, but he will send his messenger first, who will prepare the way. This messenger is also called the messenger of the covenant. Malachi 4, the messenger is identified with Elijah, the prophet. That's the second Old Testament uh, quotation from Malachi. Again, I'll show how this all connects in a moment. Finally, Mark quotes from Isaiah 40, verse 3. Isaiah 40 begins with the good news of God's comfort for Israel. Her warfare is ended, her iniquity is atoned for. Then there is verse 3, which says, A voice calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Then in verse 5, Isaiah says, The glory of the Lord will then be revealed after this uh, voice calling in the desert. So here we have three Old Testament texts quoted by Mark. All three texts speak of some kind of messenger. That's why they're relevant to what he's talking about with John the Baptist. All three talk about some kind of messenger. Two of them connect a messenger with the wilderness. And two of them say he will, this messenger will prepare the way 
for someone else who will come after him. And that's why all these three quotes from the Old Testament are relevant to what Mark is doing here in Mark 1, by the Spirit. Uh, Mark, by the Spirit, quotes these texts to grab our attention about John the Baptist and Jesus. And he's saying, essentially, my readers, don't pass these events by. Understand what is going on here, what God is doing The fulfillment of God's plan is coming upon you. Here we have John the Baptist and then the Lord Jesus. Scripture foretold these things would come. Exodus 23, Malachi 3, Isaiah 40. And that day is now here. How can you know, my reader, that Jesus is Christ and Lord and the promised coming one? Well, the events that surround and kickstart Jesus' ministry happened just as the scriptures said they would hundreds of years before these events took place. And here's where I would turn to my friend on the airplane. See, here we have layers and layers of complexity coming together Uh, to, to tell one story about the Lord Jesus. No human being could just make this stuff up. This is the word of God. So John, the prophesied messenger, he's the messenger that those quotes from the Old Testament were talking about, he appeared in the wilderness, as God foretold he would. And his job was to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And how do you prepare people for the coming of the Lord? By calling them to repentance. You see that especially in the quote from Isaiah 40. The messenger will make straight the paths of the Lord. You know, if the royal family were visiting Winnipeg, then we would get ready. Right? The royal family is coming. Let's make everything as nice as we can uh, try our best to clean things up and and present uh, the city as best we could. And that was, in a way, the purpose of John's ministry. He essentially uh, called out, do this with your life and your heart. Don't go living in your old sinful ways. Clean sin out of your life. Get rid of what is crooked and evil. The Lord is coming. So make yourself ready. And the text quoted by Mark from the Old Testament, they show that that John's ministry was both a warning and a comfort. In Exodus 23, God warned Israel, you must listen to that angel or messenger in the wilderness. You must listen to him. Surely it was the same thing with John the Baptist, that other messenger in the wilderness. Listen to him. Malachi 3, God said he would send the messenger before the Lord to prepare the people. That's because when the Lord came, he would be like a refiner's fire. And it says he would punish those who did evil in the land, refusing to repent. 
And similar in Malachi 4, the coming of Elijah, that messenger, was before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And John was that Elijah. He even wore that uh, camel's hair, the, the leather belt, just like Elijah did, the Old Testament Elijah. So listen, people, to this messenger in the wilderness. Repent. Those are the warnings. But there's also the comfort. The prophecy about John from Isaiah is in the context of God comforting his people with the forgiveness of sins. The Lord was going to come to his people to bring them salvation. That's why John came baptizing in the wilderness. He proclaimed a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So there's that warning, repent. But there's that comfort. God is extending forgiveness to you, free and full forgiveness. And your sins are washed away through the coming one. And still, the coming of Christ resulted in different things for different people. Some did not repent at John's warnings as he preached in the wilderness. And so Christ's coming was indeed a coming of of judgment to them. But others did repent, and they found forgiveness in Christ. Beloved, we must understand. Scripture makes clear that Christ will come again. And Scripture also makes clear that some will be ready, and some will not. Some will repent and believe, and some will not. Beloved, what will it be for you? Brings us to our second point. So John's uh, ministry of preparation included more. He not only preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, he also taught the people about the, the person coming after him. And the things John says are actually really astounding. First he says in verse 7, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to to stoop down and untie. I I can't even untie his sandals. I'm not even worthy to do that. And untying someone's sandals, that that was a job of a slave. Right? It was considered a, a humiliating task. Yet John says, I'm not even worthy to do this for the one coming after me. And it's like today if we were to say, and I, I really mean this, uh, it's like we were to say, I'm not worthy to clean someone's bathroom. Uh, you know, not a nice job, but you're like, I can't, I'm not even worthy to do that. And this is all the more striking since John the Baptist showed he was far from a, a people pleaser or a, a people worshiper. Uh, he, called the Isra- he called Israel's most revered leaders, the Pharisees, he just said he called them a brood of vipers. You know, he spoke out against the sins of Roman soldiers. He wasn't afraid of them. He rebuked Herod for his adulterous relationship. He wasn't afraid of him. But yet this is what he says about the one coming after him. And this is all the more heightened considering what John says next in verse 8. I have baptized you with water, but 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Surely this means the person John is preparing the way for is more than just a mere man. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. What mere man could baptize with the Holy Spirit? Consider also what the Old Testament uh, prophets say about this. The Lord himself says in Isaiah 44, I will pour my spirit out upon your offspring. The Lord is saying, I'm going to baptize your offspring. He says again in Joel 2, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I will baptize all flesh. So these texts tell us that the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit is God himself. And John says, this is the one I'm preparing the way for. The one who's going to pour out the Holy Spirit, baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And this is confirmed by the Old Testament prophecies quoted by Mark in Malachi 3. The messenger prepares the way for Yahweh himself. In Isaiah 40, the voice of one calling in the wilderness prepares the way for Yahweh himself. And this is the one coming after John. So get ready, Israel. The Lord your God is coming after me, says John. And shortly after John's proclamation, Jesus came to be baptized. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Son of God is now revealed to Israel. And here I want... I want us to step inside the Jewish mindset for a moment to see how shocking this revelation would be. We're used to it because we're so familiar with the, with the New Testament. But imagine reading this as a first century Jew. You know, all your life, you had the Old Testament scriptures. What's the one thing you believe more than anything else? You knew that God is one. Here we see that God has a son. And that this Son is fully God. That is what Mark is teaching us here in this passage. And that he fulfilled these prophecies about God coming to his people. It would be astounding to read this. And yet there's more. Mark says the Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove after he was baptized. Why did that happen? And here again, the Old Testament background is important. Uh, When God appointed prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament, often they were anointed with oil. It showed uh, their call to office from God. And here Christ is anointed by the Holy Spirit. So God is, again, appointing him to the office of prophet, priest, and king. And the Spirit is equipping him for this task. It's similar to what happened when David was anointed king in the Old Testament. Immediately, it says, after being anointed, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. That's what we have here. So Christ being anointed as prophet, priest, and king uh, with the Holy Spirit shows that God is up to something big. This is especially true when we see the connection between the anointing with the Spirit and the words spoken by the Father in heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. 
So with these words, again, connects back to the Old Testament, another Old Testament passage uh, from Psalm 2, which we sang together. Psalm 2 is about God's anointed king who will inherit the ends of the earth. And in this psalm, as we sang, the Lord gave his decree, saying to the king, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And this first part is what the Father said to Christ at his, at his baptism. So we must understand that there are two meanings to the term Son of God. Sometimes it can refer to God's eternal Son, the second member of the Trinity. Sometimes it can refer to the promised heir of David, Israel's king, the Messiah. And both of those meanings come together in this passage here. With those words, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. God the Father is not only revealing to the world that he has an eternal son who is true God. He is also in line with Psalm 2, setting this eternal son uh, to be apart, to be the Davidic king who will inherit the nation. And so in our text, a powerful person is revealed, our Lord Jesus Christ. That brings us to our last point. Now in our second point, what we just studied, yeah, indeed, a, a powerful person is revealed, but there are some things in our text that seem anticlimactic. Uh, you know, again, the eternal Son of God the promised Davidic king who will inherit the earth is revealed. John the Baptist proclaimed that the one who comes after me is mightier than I. But then what, what do we read in verse 9? It says, Jesus came from Nazareth, Galilee. Now here comes the carpenter from Nazareth, a backwater Nazareth, if I can also add that. Uh, John the Baptist, are you sure you didn't get it wrong? Is this the mighty one you were talking about, the, the carpenter from, from little town of Nazareth? You know, imagine you're at a, a circus and the ringmaster stands beside a, a big cage covered with a blanket. But before he pulls the blanket off, he tells a crowd in glowing detail, you know, there's a ferocious beast in this cage He's got huge fangs. He's incredibly powerful. And the crowd sits at the edge of their seat waiting for something like a, a grizzly bear or a lion to be revealed. Finally, the circus master pulls off the blanket and re he reveals a cute, uh, fluffy bunny. And the crowd goes, huh? This is it? And that's the sort of thing that we have in our text uh, after describing this powerful person that's coming, here's Jesus of Nazareth. Doesn't seem very powerful. However, it is a match. Christ is this person John describes who is mightier than he. He is Yahweh. He's God's son. But the son of God is also full of humility. True God came to save he came as a true man. He grew up in Nazareth. He lived with his family there. He, he was known as the carpenter's son. This is what the Son of God is doing. 
And it is true that Jesus was anointed to be that powerful Davidic king of Psalm 2 who will inherit all the nations. But he was also anointed to be the suffering servant. And the book of Isaiah describes the servant of the Lord. In Isaiah 42, God says about this servant, In him my soul delights, I will put my spirit upon him. Again, another Old Testament passage connecting to our text. God says in Isaiah 42, My soul delights in this suffering servant. I've put my spirit on him. That's exactly what happens in our text with the baptism of Jesus. And this servant would suffer greatly. He would obey God no matter what, even if it cost him his life. And that's what we see in Jesus Christ, also in this text. He is a suffering servant who obeyed God no matter what the cost to him. That's also why the Father delights in him. Jesus himself will say in John 10, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. And that's also what we see in Christ's baptism. Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. And as a carpenter, he could have built himself a nice cottage on the Sea of Galilee and said to himself, forget the world. I'm going to live here and enjoy the sun for a while. But he didn't. He left behind his earthly parents and his family said goodbye to his friends, and he came to suffer and to serve. And Christ, by his baptism, formally accepted the mission given to him by the Father. And he identified himself with God's people. We read, after his baptism, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. So it's going to be a rough time for this anointed king and, and that beloved son. Here he is, losing his life uh, for God's saving purposes. And as Christ is driven out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, we see, again, uh, it's quite astounding, uh, four Old Testament themes coming together. Four of them. First one is that of King David himself. David was anointed king. It says the Spirit of God rushed upon him. But before he gained the throne, what happened? David had to go out into the wilderness, being hounded by an adversary. In David's case, that adversary was Saul. Interestingly, Saul was oppressed by an evil spirit. And yeah, there, David was in the wilderness being hounded and oppressed by an adversary. We see the same thing in Christ. He's the anointed king of Psalm 2 who will inherit the nations. But like David, the path to the throne includes being hounded by an adversary in the wilderness. In his case, the adversary is Satan. In fact, the word Satan means adversary. Just uh, like David, he will take the throne only through that long, difficult path of obedience. So that's Old Testament theme number one. Old Testament theme number two is connected with Adam and Eve in the garden. 
Adam and Eve, too, were tempted by Satan. They fell to that temptation and so were cast out of the garden into a now inhospitable world, much like a wilderness. In fact, Genesis 3 says that God drove them out of the garden. Just like God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden, so the Spirit of God drove Christ into the wilderness. You see, Adam's sin is the reason why there's this inhospitable wilderness in our text with wild beasts. Through the fall and the sin, the curse came upon the world. And Christ is in the opposite of Eden, the wilderness. Christ had to go there to undo the sin of Adam. And in the wilderness, Christ, like Adam, is being tempted by that same person, the devil. But where Adam failed, Christ prevailed. We see this also in the little detail about the angels ministering to him after his temptation. See, after the fall into sin, God did not send an angel to minister to Adam and Eve. Instead, he set up an angel, a cherubim, to guard the way back to the tree of life. But as Christ withstood temptation, the angels were ministering to him. And in this little detail, we see that Christ, by his obedience, withstanding temptation, was opening up the way back to the tree of life for us. Where Adam failed, Christ prevailed. And that's why Christ is called the last Adam. He is our righteousness before God for everyone who believes. He is the way back to paradise and the tree of life. That's Old Testament theme number two. Old Testament theme number three has to do with the concept of the scapegoat. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would lay his hands on the head of a sacrificial goat. This symbolized the transfer of sins of the people onto the goat. And then what happened to that goat? That scapegoat was then driven into the wilderness away from the people It symbolized the removal of their sins from them. In Mark 1, what happened? The people were being baptized in the Jordan for the forgiveness of sins. And it's as if their their sins were being washed away into those waters. And then Jesus was baptized in those same sin-filled waters. It was like John, as he was baptizing Jesus, was placing the sins of the people onto Christ himself. And so he was acting like that scapegoat, taking the sins of the people onto himself. And then the Spirit of God drove him into into the wilderness, away from the people. Jesus is the scapegoat, removing our sins away from us, taking them away from us. He's the sin bearer. And he would carry our sins all the way to the cross to pay for them in full That's Old Testament theme number three. Theme number four has to do with Old Testament Israel. This is the last uh, Old Testament theme. Now, Old Testament Israel. 1 Corinthians 10 says that Israel was baptized in the Red Sea. And immediately upon their baptism in the Red Sea, Israel entered the wilderness. Just as Christ was baptized and then entered the wilderness. 
Just as Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness, so Christ spent 40 days there. And Israel went through that wilderness to claim their promised inheritance. And that inheritance was the land of the wicked nations of Canaan. God talked about that in Exodus 23, which we read. And the Israelites claimed that inheritance through the leadership of Joshua. Such it is in our text, in Mark 1. We should remember that the name Jesus is the Greek equivalent of Joshua. So in Christ, we have the New Testament Joshua, after baptism, going into the wilderness to claim his inheritance. But as we saw from Psalm 2, Christ, the New Testament Joshua, is also the Davidic king. He's not going to just inherit the land of Canaan, but the whole world. Here he is, as he's being tempted by the devil. He's fighting his first battle to claim the world. Fighting the evil one who has falsely claimed this world for himself. Now it's striking that God told Israel in Exodus 23 that if they were careful to listen to God's messenger in the wilderness, then God himself would be an enemy of their enemies and an adversary of their adversaries. And for those who repented at the preaching of John, who listened to that messenger, God's New Testament messenger in the wilderness, that's exactly what happened. Remember, Satan means adversary. The original Greek specifically calls him the adversary. And so for the people who listened to John's preaching in the wilderness... God the Son, as he's being tempted and withstanding temptation, is being an adversary for our great adversary. And for us who repent and look to God for salvation, this is what has happened for us also. By his obedience in the wilderness, he was beginning to overthrow Satan, claim the world for God and also for us. By faith, we share in that inheritance. Now, it is clear in our text that the entire war was not yet over. But the first battle was won as Jesus withstands temptation. And even in this, there's another connection to Exodus 23. God told Israel in verse 29, I will not drive out the nations of Canaan from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. And notice how after Christ's victory over Satan in the wilderness, it says he was with the wild beasts. Simply amazing. Christ won the battle. God would not give him the complete victory all at once. Just as he told uh, Israel on their way to Canaan. But Christ is now ascended into heaven. He is our victorious king. From there, he continues to claim this world for God and for himself. In fact, he's doing that right here in your midst as he proclaims his gospel to you through his word. And his kingdom, as you are brought into it by faith in Jesus Christ, will continue to expand until the ends of the earth are the inheritance of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he will return and he will have the final victory For us who know this message, let's humble ourselves before God because of our sin. Let us also be full of confidence as we look to faith in Jesus Christ, 
His victory is our victory. Those who take refuge in him are blessed, and we will reign with him forever. Amen. Let's now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing hymn 41, the stanzas 1 and 2. <laughs> 